Well, I'm going to do two things today. Um, I'm going to talk about fathers in general. So the first part of what I'm going to say applies to fathers, whether you have sons or daughters. It's just fatherhood. And then I'm going to talk about fathers of sons in particular. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, What time are we supposed to be done? 11.30? Okay. Our children... All of our children need two things from us, um, affection and discipline. One of our problems as fathers is that most of us tend toward one or the other, either affection or discipline. But God the Father perfectly demonstrates both affection and discipline, and we need to learn from him. We need both affection as fathers and discipline. Uh, Psalm 103 if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be going to a few places, not nearly as many as we did <laughs> the last hour. Um, but I do want you to see these things with your eyes <clears throat> and look at them. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Now think about those two things, affection and discipline, just in those two verses. Where's the affection? Where's the affection side of those two verses? That's the obvious part, right? Um, Compassion. He knows our frame. He's mindful of us. Where's the discipline? It's on those who fear him. So this is not just a blanket, mushy affection. There's, there's hard edges in there, right? He has compassion on those who fear him. And so there's discipline. Um, both affection and discipline. This is why God commands fathers the way that he does. In the places in the New Testament where he commands fathers, you see both affection and discipline. So, for example, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's, it's, it, they're so tied together that it's hard to tell which is which. Right? Is, is, it, um, is it discipline? Or affection to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can't separate them. Bringing them up, it's a very tender word. It's what you do with a little plant. That's the word that's used for a seedling that you're, you're kind of nurturing and you know, making sure that it takes root and grows. That's the word, bringing it up, very tender. Um, not provoking them to anger, right? Provoking them to anger would be the opposite of affection. So we are... You see the affection there. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's filled with both affection and discipline. Colossians 3.21, shorter version of that from Ephesians. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And um, this, what, what, is, what does Colossians 3.21 assume? It assumes discipline. (laughs) When are you going to exasperate your children? It's when you're disciplining them. And you're being too rigid, too narrow, too inconsistent. Something is going wrong with discipline. Right? That's the whole understanding of that verse. 
he assumes discipline, and he says, now, you know, have some affection. <laughs> don't, don't exasperate them so that they won't lose heart. So you see both affection and discipline in God's commands to fathers. And so we fathers need to learn from our Father in heaven how to love our children and how to discipline our children. How to love our children and how to discipline them. Now, the way that I've said that, it would be easy to set up a dichotomy between those two things. You know, so it'd be easy to think, okay, I need a little bit of love and, and a little bit of discipline and, you know, I just can kind of teeter back and forth, you know, between love and discipline. And if, and if I teeter enough back and forth between love and discipline, maybe I'll get the mix right. But they're two different, totally different things that need to be kind of, you know, worked back and forth and mixed into the whole. Well, that's not at all the case, is it? Uh, we have to talk about them as love, affection, and discipline. We have to talk about them differently. But we know that Scripture says they are actually the same thing. Um, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. It's what Hebrews quotes in Hebrews 12. And he's quoting from Proverbs 3. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So, is discipline love? Do you say to your children when you discipline them, Now, son, I love you, but I have to discipline you. If that's, if that's how you even say it to your children, you're teaching them that love and discipline are two different things. What scripture says is, God loves not but he disciplines. What would be the connecting word? Therefore, so, yeah, I mean, it, you can't separate them. So the affection, uh, when I said at the beginning, we tend towards one or the other, right? Either affection or discipline. Well, the affection with no discipline, according to this passage, is not affection at all, right? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, just as a father does, corrects a son in whom he delights, if you don't correct, and, and Proverbs says this kind of things all the time. If, if you uh, do not discipline your son, you hate him. Right? And so when I say, yeah, some people have affection and some, some fathers lean towards discipline, that affection isn't real affection. And you could also say that that discipline isn't real discipline. If you have discipline without affection, then you certainly don't have God's discipline. Because God disciplines those he, whom he loves. It's an, it's an expression of his love for them and delight. So, love, affection, and discipline. Affection and discipline. Discipline and love. Affectionate discipline, disciplinary affection. Right? You've got to <coughs> smoosh them together and think about what God is like. Now, and that applies to fathers in general. There's a, there's a key passage on fatherhood in the New Testament that's very easy to miss. But it's key to understanding what a good father does. That's where I want to go now. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, look at this. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. And since I have a board, I'll use it.
Now this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself and um, the men who worked with him when he came to this town, Thessalonica, and he's talking about his ministry, reminding them of what it was like. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.10, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you unbelievers, or toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So think about how Paul describes his ministry. He uses three words to describe this. Exhorting, What's the order? Encouraging. And imploring, right? How? What's he say? As a father would his own children. So this is, for the Apostle Paul, a basic assumption of what fatherhood looks like. Right? It's just taken for granted. This is what fathers do. This is what we did when we were with you. But this is what fathers do. So that's what, how I want us to think about it. This is a, a picture of fatherhood. All of these are as a father would his own children. So let's look at each of these words real briefly. Um, these are all different actions. All right? They're three different things. But... The first thing to notice is that they all have one thing in common. What do all these words have in common? What do all these actions have in common? What do you have to do if you're going to do these things? <laughs> That's what none of you are doing right now. It's <laughs> Speak. All of them require you, fathers, us fathers, to actually speak. Now think about this. If you've decided that you can't talk to your kids, if you've if you decided that, well, you know, I'm, I'm the silent type, well, you've just decided you can't be a father. Because this is what fathers do. And these things require talking. If you're going to be a good father, you've got to start talking with your children. And, of course, the older they get, the harder it gets. You know? It's easy for me to talk to my four-year-old about circles and the color blue and the need to eat his green beans. You know, that's pretty easy conversation stuff, right? It's harder to talk to my 17 or 15 or 13-year-old sons about girls and sex and work and responsibility and respect and maturity. That's hard stuff to talk about with your sons or your daughters. But if I'm going to be a good father, I have to talk. Commit yourself to talking. The other thing to notice in uh, these three words is how they encompass both affection and discipline. Right? Exhorting. Um, exhorting, we'll, we'll talk about what it means, but it has both affection and discipline in it. Right? Encouraging. You think, well, that's all, that's all affection. Yeah, sort of. 
It certainly has affection in it. Imploring has affection and discipline in it. So again, you see those two things come into play. The affection and discipline always have to do with fathering. So let's look at these words individually. First, exhorting. This is a word that means to call to your side. It means, uh, you know, it's very easy to picture you doing this to your children. You come alongside them. You put your arm around them. You say, now, son, you need to do better at this. You know, the book of Hebrews is filled with exhortations. Uh, Let us not grow weary. Let us continue. Let us stand fast. Let us press forward. You know, that's, that's an exhortation. You're in it with them together. You know, come on, we can do this. You need to do this. We can do this. Come on. That's an exhortation. It's discipline because there's something that needs to be exhorted about, but it's also love. It's very tender. How can you be a father without exhorting your children? If you've decided you won't direct them, you've decided again not to be a father. The second word, encouraging. This means to admonish and to encourage to act. Um, encouragement is not just, is not what we think, when we think of encouragement today, we think, um, you know, just simply positive talk about how good, how good someone is or how well they've done. You know, hey, that was great. You did great. Um, that's not, not really not what encouragement is. Encouragement is there not to make you feel better, but to make you do better. If you look up the meaning of the word encourage, it means to spur someone on. You see the word courage in there. To give them courage to do something great. That's what encourage means. It doesn't just mean, oh, it's great. Everything's fine. You're, you should feel good about yourself and, and sit there and, and do nothing. It means helping them, strengthening them to do better. That's what encourage means. It also means to console and to comfort. Think of all the times as a father when you need to do both at the same time, you know, to to both admonish and strengthen your children and to console and comfort them. You can do this. It'll be okay. God will give you the strength you need to do this. God will help you. I will help you. There's consolation there, but there's also pushing right? There's affection, there's discipline. Third word is imploring. Imploring. Now this is a very serious and solemn word. Uh, It means to beg, to beseech. When a father implores his children, there there, there must be a lot at stake. You don't implore unless there's something really serious at stake. And this is not a cold dispensing of advice, all right? When you implore someone, this is not take it or leave it. Here I am, I'm going to tell you something you need to know, and I, or I'm going to ask you to do something, or I'm going to tell you to do something. Take it or leave it, I don't care whether you do it or not. You know, that's not imploring. With imploring, everything is at stake. In order to implore your children, you need to be vulnerable to them. Vulnerable, vulnerable to being hurt by them. That's what it means to implore. It's, it's almost like begging, but 
it sounds more dignified to say implore. <laughs> Not begging from weakness, you know, like a, a weak little man. Oh, would you please, please eat your green beans? You know, <laughs> but there's some life and death is at stake. Um, and, and your son, if you don't do this, you have the ability to, to break my heart and to hurt me. And they need to see it in your eyes. They need to hear it in your voice. Son, daughter, please don't do this. Please think about what you just did. Think about what you just said. Please don't break my heart. That's what it means to implore. There's something actually at stake. And what's at stake is your own relationship. You need to be vulnerable to your children. If your children don't think they can hurt you, then you're not a good father. You're just a cold, distant, you know, dispenser of advice, direction. But that's not a father. You know, you know that's not what God is like. So brothers, how are we doing with exhorting and encouraging and imploring our children? Especially as they get older. Some of you don't have older children yet. But you will. And, and the habits, it won't get easier for you to uh, exhort, encourage, and employ your children the older they get. Believe me. It gets much harder. And so if you don't do it now with the little ones, you won't do it when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You just won't. It's not too late to learn but you've got to do it. So, one more thing to notice about Paul's fathering in ours from this passage in, in <coughs> era of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, he was exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children so that, so that, there's a goal in mind, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So all these fatherly activities <laughs> had a specific goal in mind, all right? Had a specific outcome in view. Practical, observable, concrete obedience to God. That's what he means by, uh, that's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is not just uh, attitudes, it certainly would include attitudes, but it's about concrete observable, practical obedience, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Our children need practical, concrete help to have practical, observable, concrete obedience. In other words, don't, don't be afraid to say to your daughter, especially as she gets older, no, you may not wear that. Don't be afraid. Concrete, practical, observable conformity to the ways of God. Don't be afraid to say to your son, no, you may not watch that. No, you may not listen to that. You need to be concerned about your children's heart. And if you're around here, you know that I talk about that a lot, but that doesn't mean that you're unconcerned with their obedience and their, and their uh, behavior. Those things aren't at odds with each other. But I've seen it. I've seen parents so concerned about the inward heart that they don't 
Discipline the outward behavior. Discipline the behavior. This is what Paul was doing. Exhorting, encouraging, imploring, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel or worthy of God. The fear of legalism has produced, has produced actually bad fruit in many churches. The fear of legalism has produced bad fruit. The fear of legalism has produced children who don't know how to walk in a manner worthy of God. And we fathers are to blame because we fail to exhort and encourage and implore them so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. Okay? So, what applies to us as fathers in general, fathers of sons and daughters, discipline and affection, uh, exhort, encourage, implore, and everything that those words mean, talk, talk, talk to your kids. Have particular ends in view. Okay? Does that make sense? That applies to everybody who's a father with sons or daughters. Now, let's think about fathers of sons in particular. I hope that in 20 years from now, I'll have a lot more to say <laughs> about this. Uh, if you don't know, I have two 17-year-old sons, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And so hopefully when the last one's done cooking, I'll have more to say. Still kind of in the, in the, in the thick of it. Um, what do we need to be in order to raise sons? Sons, not daughters. How do we need to think and what do we need to do? The first thing to say about this is that we must think about raising sons differently than we think about raising daughters. I only have sons, <laughs> but this is not, take, not to be taken for granted today, right? Uh, what what the, the general assumption is, children are children, parents are parents. Doesn't matter if they're, you know, what their biology is. You just have children, you don't have sons and daughters. Um, with Athanasius College and with our schooling program that we have here at Clearnote Church, we're, we're actually wanting to, uh, what's the word? Uh, we actually want to acknowledge the fact that we are educating either boys or girls or young men or young women. And there's a difference. A difference in how we're going to teach them and what we're going to teach them. Very true with your, with your children. Uh, you, if you have sons, you need to raise them differently than you raise daughters. Uh, in some ways, you'll deal with boys and girls differently. In some ways, you'll deal with them the same. But in other ways, major differences. And so we have to think about our boys and girls with the end in view. Um, I've done with this with some of you before in a Sunday school class, but think about your sons, in particular sons. What do you want your sons to be in 20 years? Some of you have little sons. Some of you have bigger ones. What do you want your two-year-old to be in 20 years from now? What kind of man do you want him to be? Just give me some words. Responsible. Ah, responsible. Take, is that to be taken for granted? What else? Loyal. What'd you say? Godly. Godly, which covers a lot of ground. So let's get specific. Okay, so have integrity, right? That's kind of what you'd mean by that. Gentle, 
What else? Brave. Brave. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Employable. Which means what? There's a lot under that heading. What does that mean? What does it mean in particulars? Not lazy. Not lazy disciplined, hardworking. Hard actually be able to do something. <clears throat> or learn how to do something. Right? What else? Teachable. Teachable. Manly. Not a fool. Manly, not effeminate. Yeah, not effeminate. Able to communicate. Yep. Yeah. Able to lead. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. You jumped over something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this is how we, how do we, how do we get there? We, you have to have specific particular goals in mind with your sons or else you won't get there. Um, do you want, do you look, <laughs> this is going to be a loaded question. Do you look forward to the day when your sons are out of your house? Yes and no. It should be yes. It should be yes, absolutely. Now, here's another question. Not because they're nasty and you can't wait to get them out of there because, you, you know, they... But because you've raised them to be men and it's time to go. Go, be men. Do what I told you to do. Um, can they, are they looking forward to getting out of your home? That could be either a good, a good yes or, or a bad yes. The, the bad yes would be, man, I can't wait to get out of this house. The good yes would be, this is what God, is, this is what God, I, God has made me a man, and he's made me to you know, have dominion over the world and to marry, a, to you know, get, a, get a wife and raise children of my own and have it work and be productive and you know, be useful in the kingdom of God. This is what God is. I can't wait to get out of here. Not because I don't like my parents, <laughs> you know. Uh, if they can't, if they if they think that's the last thing in the world I want to do is get out of the house because that means I have to be responsible, then you haven't done your work well. All right. So think about that. How do we? This is what we want. How do we get there? And how do we? Uh, how are our sons? currently different from the completed product that we want in them. <laughs> How are they currently, the raw materials are there, but it's raw, right? How do you, how, what are you going to have to do to get them from where they are now to where you want them to be? How are they naturally different than the men we want them to be? How does every boy come into the world? <laughs> yeah, there's... Those are all very true, but very generic, because that's also true of your daughters. So I'm talking about sons. I believe that boys come into the world with two basic traits, craziness and laziness. Easy to remember. <laughs> if you have sons, no one has to tell you this, right? <laughs> you don't have to remember. <clears throat> you, you live it. Our sons come naturally crazy and naturally lazy. Just think about it. That is what they had to fight against in order to be any of the things that we just listed. It all falls under one of those two categories. Either they're crazy or they're lazy. Craziness is a lack of self-control that prevents them from considering others. You know, I don't care what I break. I don't care who I wake up. 
I don't care whose stuff I, you know, mess up. I don't care who I hurt, you know, <clears throat> blasting through doing whatever they want. Not even their own lives. Yeah, yeah, their own lives, their own, uh, their own bodies even. Laziness is a lack of self-discipline. So both of them are lack of self-control or self-discipline, right? Craziness is a lack of self-discipline. Laziness is a lack of self-discipline that prevents them from doing the work God has given them to do. You have any you have sons, you know that that's the basic makeup that they come pre-wired. So how do we get from craziness and laziness to maturity and responsibility? How do we faithfully raise our boys to be masculine but not barbaric, right? Masculine but not barbaric, responsible but not effeminate. Our culture has reduced masculinity to barbarism and um, what? Yeah, I mean that's clearly the message of the media is uh, women are the only only adults. Um, If you become an adult, you become a woman, (laughs) right? Um, So masculine but not barbaric, responsible but not effeminate. The primary thing we need to do as fathers of sons is to be mature and responsible. Like father, like son. Our sons will take our flaws and they'll magnify them. They take our flaws, men, and they magnify them. They take our habits and they turn them into vices. They take our indiscretions and magnify them into life-dominating sins. We, we could all tell stories about this from our either our own lives or our experience with others. Um, and it can be a good Sometimes it can be a good thing. You can have a man who, who is great with children, as an adult, wonderful with children, but whose sons grow up to be children. They take part of us and magnify it. A man who, you know, drinks a little bit has sons who drink a lot. A man who is undisciplined in uh, how he uses uh, the computer or the television has sons who are addicted to uh, pornography and, and, and movies. They take your faults and sins and magnify them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dad, you know, Dad does this. But of course, they don't have the years that you have. They don't have the maturity that you have. And so they take what they see as things that they're able to, to do because dad does them, but they are crazy, so they run off and do them in a magnified way. So if we are immature and irresponsible, our sons will be so much more. My sons see how I drive. <laughs> as I'm learning, as I'm teaching them how to drive, I'm constantly saying, 
you, you can't do that. <laughs> I know I do that, but you're not allowed to do that. I, you haven't been driving for 20 years. That's my excuse. <laughs> you know, um, when you have the skill to go that fast, <laughs> they see how I drive. They see how I respond to stress. And so, how do I? So, how do they respond to stress? Yeah, even more so. How they see how I work, how I drink, how I eat, how I relate to authority. You name it. They see everything. And their lives will most likely be a magnifying glass on my sins. It makes sense, doesn't it? And the older your sons get, the more you'll see this. So fathers, for the sake of your sons, watch your own life very closely. If you want your sons to be mature, be even more mature. You know, go overboard in, on maturity. Because then maybe they'll kind of be a little bit mature by the time they leave. Uh, if you want your sons to be responsible, then be even more responsible. Seldom do our sons rise above us. Remember the words of our Lord, a slave is not greater than his master, right? And likewise, a son is seldom greater than his father. So if you want good sons, then you need to be an excellent man. Our hope for all of our sons and, and daughters is they do in fact rise above us. And that's probably, well, we have reason to hope for that because you have things, uh, probably most of us in, sitting in this room right now are, yeah. are getting things now at a time when your parents never, ever had, had them, right? So you're ahead of your parents in some ways. But you, and you want your sons and daughters to be ahead of you in some ways. But, boy, when it comes to sins, they'll be ahead of you in the wrong way, right? So be responsible and mature. Uh, this is the, the key. Now let's look at a couple of passages that um, speak about young men in particular. I have about 10 minutes left here. And then I'll give you a list of things we must do with our sons. Titus 2.6. Really long, complicated passage. So this Titus 2 is where t Paul is telling Timothy, a pastor, what to teach to his people. And he breaks it down by sex and by age. So you have older women and younger women, older men and younger men, right? And the, and the instructions are different. And so when Paul says, hmm, what am I going to tell the pastor to say to the younger men? What am I going to tell the pastor to say to the younger men? Uh, here it is. Titus 2.6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Period. Got your work cut out for you. <laughs> Let's just focus on that. <laughs> you know, this is because sensible is the opposite of both crazy and lazy. Right? Self-controlled, sober-minded. If you can just get your sons to be sensible, you know, then you've, you've done a good work. You've done a great thing. No need for long lists. Urge them to be sensible, self-controlled, sober-minded. 1 Corinthians 16. 
13 and 14. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So these are particular marks of manliness, right? Alertness, firmness in the faith, strength, and overall, what? Love. Again, the opposite of craziness and laziness, right? All of those are. In the popular culture, the most common portrayal of real men are selfish, self-controlled, or self-centered, <laughs> not self-controlled, selfish, self-centered, thoughtless brutes. That is the popular idea of manhood. Or wimps, barbarians or wimps. The only way that our culture has to think of manhood. This gives a model of manhood that has affection and discipline at the heart, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, discipline, but all that you do be done in love, affection. And fathers need to exercise affection and discipline in raising their sons, because manhood is defined by affection and discipline. Now, <clears throat> some particulars, and some of you may have heard me talk about these things before, but what can we actually do? Um, number one, make them love to work. And this isn't in no particular order. All right. Make them love to work. Now, what's the key to making your sons love to work? <laughs> Loving work. <clears throat> your kids are little, I mean, they're, they're not idiots. You know, and they see and catch all of your attitudes and words and looks and um, about work. And they know that if work for you is what you know you have to do so that you can make it to the weekend, you know, then that, of course, will be your son's, but more so. So teach them to love to work. Work is at the center of being a man. Now, time to go through all the passages. You should know them. Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and so on. Let fill the earth and subdue it. This was work. That's what man was made to do. Before the fall, he was made to work. Now, after the fall, it gets hard. Er. <laughs> but when, you, when I clean my garage, or fix my gutter, or cut and stack my firewood, or rake my leaves, or mow the grass, I feel like a Christian. I feel like a Christian man. Because I'm doing what God told me to do. Right? I'm sub subduing that garage. <laughs> Down. <clears throat> or not. <laughs> Don't look at my garage. Teach them to reject the attitude that says, I work simply so that I can have the money to play. But that is the American attitude to work. Um, they, there's more to say about that. We don't have time to look at it. Um, number two, there's a book out on the book table called, what's it called? That, that work book, that book on work, created to work. Created to work. Great little book um, for helping your sons grab a hold of the, their calling as men to work, okay? Number two, allow them to do dangerous things. 
Our, our sons were made to take risks. They were made to face danger and to overcome their fears. They will not grow into mature, responsible men unless we teach them to take risk. How do you do that? Well, moms, there's a few of you moms here. <laughs> Let them wrestle with dad, even when they're little. Let them go down the slide. Let them go on the swing. You know, don't be overprotective. Let them play football if they want to. Let them play with firecrackers. <laughs> Let them be daring on their bikes within reason. Remember, they're crazy. Got it. Um, but you've got to let them take risk. You do not want your sons growing up uh, never having done anything dangerous. Never do having done anything scary. Because then they'll grow up to be men who can never do anything. They won't be able to lead because leading is scary. It takes risk. Number three, teach them how <laughs> to play with guns and swords. <clears throat> I didn't say teach them to play with guns and swords. You won't need to teach them to. <laughs> when our little, when our, my oldest boys were children, we didn't have guns. We, we thought, no, we're going to be above that. We teach them to be violent. <clears throat> so we'd give them <clears throat> peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. And what do they do with them? They eat them into the shape of a gun. <clears throat> so then we said, if you can't beat them, join them. And uh, <laughs> you don't have to buy them swords. Any stick will do. You know, they'll, they'll find it. Um, so you don't allow them to play with guns and swords. They will do it. What you need to do is teach them how to do it. Teach them that they may not, uh, you know, they may only shoot the bad guys. You know, no shooting mom or dad uh, or brother or sister unless they're the bad guys at the time, you know. Uh, seriously, there's the bad part side of this. I've known, walked into a home, homes, many homes before and little kids, you know, mom or dad tells them to do something and he pulls out his gun and shoots them. Ha 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 ha, how funny. No, <laughs> no, not funny at all. You know, so teach them how to. Um, you know, don't ambush the dinner guests, that kind of thing. <laughs> but what you're teaching them is that God has made them strong and brave so that they can kill the giants, slay the dragons, protect the innocent, help the weak. Now they may not, I'm not saying that they're all going to grow up to be law enforcement officers or, you know, soldiers. That's not my point. My point is they need to grow up to be men and men protect the innocent and help the weak. And that's not just done in the world of ideas, although it is done in the world of ideas. It's done physically as well. So mothers, um, <coughs> praise your little boys for their skill in arms. Number four, teach them how to respect and honor women. How are they going to learn that? They're going to learn that from you, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, the example that Tim mentioned yesterday, last night, the, the, the battered woman sitting in the pew and the, and the, the kids mocking and, and utterly despising her. Well, there you go. 
your sons will honor your mother, or their mother, your wife, if you honor her. Your sons will honor their wife if you honor yours. And so teach them that they have a duty to protect the weak and the innocent. Teach them how to let girls and women go first in line. Teach them how to give up their seats for ladies. Teach them how to open doors and carry heavy things for the women. Teach them to turn their eyes away if they see a woman dressed immodestly, because that's how you honor a woman. She's not being honorable, but you still need to honor her. Um, Fathers, teach them to honor their mother at the pain of your fierce wrath. They will honor their mother. They will honor your wife. Remember, this is something else that goes back to what I was saying earlier about preparing them to leave. Remember, um, they need to know my place in this house is temporary. Right? <clears throat> Meaning, <coughs> two, minutes. two minutes. Oh, easy, no problem. Meaning, their place in the house is temporary. Your wife's place in the house is not. Does that make sense? And they need to honor your wife. Your wife, you know, in that sense, is much more important than your children. And your children need to know that. And I don't mean in any kind of nasty, harsh, weird way. I'm just saying they need to know, yeah, I'm out of here. You know, I'm out of here. And I need to honor my father's wife. And then they'll learn how to honor their wives and to love them. Um, Encourage them often. Hug them often. They need constant encouragement and praise. Not the, the saccharine, sweet, Uh, flattery of overindulgence but the sincere encouragement and praise that is due them when they do a good job praise them for it don't when they do a good job don't find the one thing that they did wrong and slam them for that when they do something difficult encourage them hug them often give them physical affection one of the ways that you can help prevent uh, this is what all the studies say this is not all there is to it, okay? But one of the things you can do to prevent your sons from falling into homosexual sin is to, to be physically affectionate with them. Because then they need to know that there's, a, there's, a, there's an appropriate masculine physical affection that's not erotic. Okay? Strengthen their sense of dig- dignity. And mothers, this is very difficult for you. Because you will always, and and husbands, think about this with your wives. Um, Our wives must let our sons grow up. They must allow them to be men. They cannot continue to deal with them as if they were three-year-olds when they're 17. But that's the tendency of of mothers. The, The tendency of mothers is to mother. (laughs) <laughs> right, and so they it's very very likely that your wives will will tend to um, treat your older sons as if they're still in the third grade, and what that does is it kills them, it squashes them, it sets them up when they leave your home to want a mother, not a wife, and oh man, is that awful 
You've all seen it, if you have eyes to see it. Men who, in marriage, married a mother instead of marrying a wife. If there's a difficult discipline issue, your fathers, you fathers should take care of it, especially with our older sons. They need to respect and honor women in general and their mother in particular. But this, it's, it's, easy, it's hard for women to understand that young men are very fragile. And you need to do all you can to strengthen their sense of dignity. They, it's very easy for a mother just to constantly belittle her sons and to speak to them as if they were little boys. And, and nothing could be more harmful to them than that. And lastly, give them a cause worth dying for. I have no time to talk about that. <laughs> but the point is, give them something great and magnificent and glorious to live and die for. You know? Other than, don't think like a modern American. Give your sons names that they can grow up into. Right? For example, what's your son? What are your son's names? Eli Steadfast, Timothy Courage, Calvin Diligent, and James True. Weak little wimpy names like that. <laughs> All right. Give your sons names that mean something. Um, when your sons are little enough to still be interested, but old enough to understand, tell them what their names mean. When our boys were young. Nathaniel, Gabriel, Nicholas, or Isaiah, Nicholas. All those are biblical names, and they all mean something. You know, names typically mean something. Uh, and we made, I made them uh, shields and made up a crest that uh, reflected what their name actually meant. Oh, did they love it? You know, they loved it. Um, but it's something bigger, something bigger than themselves, something bigger than NASCAR, <laughs> something bigger than. Walmart, something bigger than uh, the ball game, something bigger than even the work, something bigger. And I've got all kinds of scripture passages, I don't have time to read them. Three pages. We need to be done. What you don't ever want your sons to grow up thinking, even for a moment, is that Christianity is for women. Not even for a moment. And that all depends on how you live and how you think about the things of God. All right, let's be done.